man. What's up? Them niggas around the corner tripped out, man. Where my fuck that, man? Where my strap? Fuck that shit, man. Them niggas around the corner, man. Fuck that, man. Oh, fuck that. We finna let these niggas have it. Just pull up. Just pull up. Get your shit ready, nigga. Damn. These niggas right here? Yep. That's the niggas right there. Get ready, man. Get ready. I'm finna let these niggas. I like to listen to sick it on after I have a hit of my bong bong bong. I like to listen to sick it on after I have a hit of my bong bong bong. I like to listen to sick it on after I have a hit of my bong bong bong. If I need to write a song, but it didn't take me very long. Well, now's the end. Uh, yeah. Oh, Adam and Eve. Eve. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm on your host, E. Simon. Hi, I'm COVID Kate. Kate Rambo has a COVID, people. I do. Please bear with my voice and like I will try to. I sound like Sonny Bono right now. Hey, you do sound kind of raspy. You know, you bragged for so long that you'd never, like, you're like, I'm immune to the COVID that's, because of my ancestral genes. Uh, that's what happens. Pride comes before <laughs> fall. And, you know, I'm humble enough to admit that and be like, yeah, I probably deserved it. I deserved a little boot in the ass from karma. And here it is. You know, I think it's inevitable at this point with so many different strains and variants, right. whatever. Everyone seems to be catching it. It's just so it just affects some people way worse than it affects of it, others. Like I know my sister had it recently. She was like, "Yeah, it's kind of like a like a a bad flu, like a particularly you know harsh flu." She's like, "But it wasn't that bad." That's how I feel a bit. Like this is a regular virus, but I've also got really bad like sore throat chucked in for good measure. You know, uh, a friend of mine, um, her husband is uh has has covid right now and it's so bad for him like he can't even swallow like you might have to get an iv holy shit that's like yeah, yeah that, i don't have that level of co- i have casual covid as my friend asked casual covid yeah do you know who you caught it from like do you suspect somebody i have no idea who i caught it from but i caught it from some fucker at work and it was i can't believe i've gone two years i've traveled internationally i've like you know i've not stopped living life and i've eventually just caught it from a fucking cock ring factory asshole (laughs) it it does kind of suck because like we were just in europe uh two crowded airports heathrow and scheipel and amsterdam and trains and amsterdam nothing you were fine you get back you go back to work and then what friday you, you start feeling like shit. Yeah, caught it from work. Absolutely. I wonder who you caught it from. You should find out, get revenge. I will find out, and I will get revenge. I'm going to spit in their face. I've been thinking about this. I might start up a COVID revenge company. I like your idea. I'm, I'm take my money. Well, it's kind of like, remember in South Park when uh, they're making all the kids get chicken pox? Yeah. And the, and the kids found out about it, so they got some prostitute to like rub their, to- <laughs> their, their toothbrushes on their crotch. It's kind of like that. I'm going to like, you know, you find out who gave you COVID and then we'll get their toothbrush and rub it on a prostitute snatch. Okay. I just feel like you want to rub something on a prostitute snatch, but I'm, I, you know, I'm still in the COVID haze right now. I'll just go with you. They gave you COVID. You give them herpes. That makes sense. Okay. Yes. I like this. Eye for an eye. Yes. 
That's what I'm thinking. An eye for a herp eye. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> anyway, since uh, you've been sick and I've been recovering from a, a tattoo, a tattoo healing process, I haven't been wearing pants. We haven't really gone out much, so we've just been watching a lot of movies. Tons of movies. Lots of movies. And, you know, in fact, people that listen to the second show, um, we, we do a whole film review of some of the uh, the uh, movies we watched this past week. Um, for the too long, didn't read people out there, skip the new Jurassic Park film. It sucks. It's fucking awful. But definitely watch the movie Black Phone. Yeah, anything with Ethan Hawke I am down for, but this is a spectacular Yeah, it's a film. new horror movie that came out, and I didn't actually even know anything about it, but it's really good. We talk about it in the second show. But we weren't only you know watching movies for entertainment. It wasn't all about just you know getting high watching movies. Um, we watched uh, Boys in the Hood this week, the uh, seminal 1991 um, film by John Singleton uh, that came out, yeah, 1991, um, for research for this week's show. Yeah, research in uh, Research in yeah. air quotes. <laughs> uh, but no, it's a good movie. You know, I, I was thinking about that. Like, I haven't seen that probably since the 90s. I actually, me and Kessler went and saw that in the theater because I'm that old. Because you are that old. Yeah, I haven't seen it in about a decade. I couldn't remember anything from it. Well, apart from the one famous part. Well, a bit preachy, definitely. But yeah. I mean, I can understand what they're trying to do uh-huh. with that. Um, but d- very influential. And uh, yeah, and the many memorable scenes in that film. Watching it again, I, I kind of remember a lot of the things that, uh, that Kessler picked up from that movie. Um, he, actually, both of us. After we saw that movie, every time we'd answer the phone, we'd be like, who dis? Like said it for years, for years. Because you, you two are so gangster. Uh, the, you the two rab- are Crenshaw. I just remember the rabbi be like, "Hello, <laughs> like, yo, who this? <laughs> it's, it's your, your father." father. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great movie, and people who haven't seen it, I I think it still holds up. Obviously, it's a bit dated, uh, being from the early '90s. But it's as a you know on its own, I think it stands up as a as a. a an excellent film. And Ice Cube is an absolute cutie doll in Doughboy. Oh, he's, he's so great. cute. You forget how cute Ice Cube used to... Well, he's still cute, but he's just super adorable. We are inspired by uh, a guy that Kate works with, um, Anthony. Yeah, shout yeah. out to Anthony. He inspired us because he shared a story about a... Uh, a I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even say tertiary character. A guy who played a bit part as a blood um, had an insane... Hollywood story about this guy that we're going to get to in a minute, and that's what inspired us to watch Boys in the Hood. Before we get to that, I read some like just kind of facts about this movie. Okay, that I never knew. I love it. I love and, facts. Uh, yeah, so um, let me get through a few of these, and we'll get into uh, the story of uh, of the the blood who shot Ricky. Um, so the the story of Boys in the Hood is actually largely uh, autobiographical. So in writing the script, John Singleton, who was only twenty one years old at the time, right, which says something. Um, he pulled from his own life growing up in L.A. So the main character, uh, Trey, was played by Cuba Gooding Jr., uh, lives with his father across town while his mother works and goes to school. And that's exactly what happened to Singleton when he was a kid. Um, and he stated in interviews that uh, like several elements from his life actually made it into the script and the film. Um, even the, the, uh, the scene where the father shot at a fleeing burglar. Oh, was that from real life? That was, yeah. So he said the movie is kind of cathartic for him. Oh, I bet. This is interesting. It was technically a bigger hit than Terminator 2. Right. You wouldn't have thought that. Well, you know, in the fight for box office dollars, 
I wouldn't say, you know, there's much of a competition there. Terminator 2 Judgment Day and Boys in the Hood both came out around the same time, 1991. Um, Terminator 2 raked in about $205 million, whereas Singleton's film, Boys in the Hood, only made about $58 million. But his spent less, right? Exactly. Yeah. Terminator 2 cost $102 million to make, and just under, you know, half of what it pulled in, whereas Boys in the Hood only cost $6 million to make. And oh, Edward Furlong, what happened to you? <laughs> what what happened to you, Eddie? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, God, yeah. He looks like shit. Oh, my God, yeah. And Although, he's great in Pekka. I know? loved, uh, I forget the actor's name, but the guy that played T2 in... Um, Michael Patrick. Yeah, but in uh, the John Cena TV show that we recently watched. Peacemaker. Peacemaker. Yes. God, blanking on it. He played his racist father in that. You can blame COVID as well because... I might be in a bit of a COVID haze or marijuana. Either one. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the, I forget that character's or the actor's name, but he was so good in Peacemaker. He is so good. But whenever so you old, see him, almost unrecognizable. You always just say, "There's T fucking T." Yeah, well, it's funny because I was like, "God, I can't, I can't place this guy's face. He looks so familiar." Because I mean, he's old now. But then when you see him, you're like, "Oh shit, that's T two. You know who he is. <laughs> um, Will Smith was offered the role of Trey. Instead of Cuba Gooding Jr., but decided to become the Fresh Prince of Bel Air instead. Good, because be- <laughs> that role really belongs to Cuba. And I was in such a COVID haze yesterday that when he came on the screen, I was like, D, this guy, this guy's in tons of movies. But you didn't, he looked so, I mean, he's so young. Everyone in that film, like Lawrence yeah. Fishburne is also Larry Fishburne, and he is a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, you know, he looks very young too. It's like years before Morpheus. Um, the actors, none of the actors, were warned about the gunshots so they could give oh. a genuine reaction. That's cool. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting thing. Uh, so John Singleton had to convince Ice Cube to act. How did he jo- do Ice Cube that, didn't want to do that. So Singleton told the casting director that he didn't want to cast anybody that's been seen in other movies. So I know we talk about uh, Larry Fishburne, but Larry Fishburne came from Pee Wee's Playhouse. And uh, Angela Bassett had a, an established oh, yeah, Angela career, Bassett, too. But, and Angela Bassett was established, at, yeah. I think, at that point, even though uh, she was young, a lot, much younger than she's now. Oh, she's sexy. Uh, she was so hot. She's, she's so hot. sexy. She plays Trey's mom. But Larry Fishburne, his biggest thing at that time was uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Right. I didn't actually know which that. Which is, a, I mean, a pretty huge role. I mean, he played, um, what is it, the cowboy on uh, for like nine seasons. But anyway... Um, yeah, he didn't want anybody who's been seen in other movies. So uh, Singleton also wanted Ice Cube in particular to play the role of Doughboy. So he must have been a fan of NWA and Ice Cube. Ice Cube had left NWA at this point. Um, and so he said it, it took him two years to convince Ice Cube to do the to, to, to act in the movie. And Ice Cube's a great actor. I, oh, he was so good. We were good. talking about his other films when we were watching it, like oh, Deep Blue so, Sea. <laughs> yeah, he was so good in, in that movie in particular. He was in Anaconda, too. I actually like um, Anaconda. I like all those monster movies. He's great. Ice I love Cube Ice said Cube. in uh, 2011 that he was really engulfed in his music. Um, but I had seen Ice-T do New Jack City and Kid and Play do House Party, which is a great movie, House Party 1 and 2. So he's like, okay, it's time for rappers to make movies now. But he hadn't read the script or memorized any lines, so he kept fucking up the whole time, and it was a really bad audition. But Singleton, you know, kept believed in Ice Cube's ability, and it was his vision, and he was like, go back, read the script, come back again, and audition again. And so when Cube started reading about the movie and realized it's about how they grew up, he was able to, uh, you know, 
successfully adapt with that character. So, he is Doughboy. Oh, he's There's perfect. no one else who could perfect. be Doughboy. Um, one of the funny things when we were watching that movie is they're you know constantly drinking malt liquor, drinking 40s. And so Kate was just like, what are they drink? What is that brand? Because you had never heard of St. Ives. We don't have anything like that here. We don't have malt liquor. You don't even have malt liquor. We have something called Special Brew, which is like a very strong, disgusting tasting beer. But we don't have That's, the big iconic 40s of America. That is kind of what a, what a malt liquor is. Just kind of a disgusting, very strong beer. I think we, uh, Special Brew is basically all we have. Although I got to say, I fucking love Mickey's. And That's all we drank in, in college and high school. Well, high school, I remember, first time I ever got really drunk was King Cobra. Because... Me, me and Kessler thought it would be really funny to get like four forties of King Cobra and just carry them around. Like, oh yeah, as if we're you pouring them out for your dead homies. <laughs> so well. we drank it. Oh, I barfed my guts out. That shit yeah. is fucking gnarly. But Mickey's is, you know, Mickey's is like two bucks, two bucks for a bottle. So like less than five dollars, you get wasted. Yeah. But in this movie, they're mostly drinking Saint Ides, and so <laughs> the uh, the distributor Saint Ides had to ration their stock following the film's release because of the increased demand. Because, yeah, it was so popular afterwards. Yeah. That's brilliant. Their sales, like, skyrocketed. And so what was funny is Ice Cube was a spokesperson for the malt liquor until the brand came under pressure for controversial ad campaigns. And so Ice Cube had become, like, increasingly uncomfortable with promoting the beverage. And having Doughboy pour it out at the end of the film, he, was, he said it was not just about the character paying respect to the dead, but reflects his own desire to wash his hands in a relationship with St. Ives. Okay. And there, and the advertising industry's exploitation of hip-hop. Oh. Yeah, so he was making deep. a statement. Shit. Yeah. So it's more than just your dead homies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know that gold Chevrolet Impala that was uh, the oh. Ice Cube? Ice Cube actually really owned that car. Of course he did, because Ice Cube is fucking cool as shit. Oh, it's, it's such a badass star. car. Yeah, with hydraulics, it's so cool. All the fashion, and I know it's like early 90s, but all the fashion in that film is fucking amazing. I love all the jewelry that all the girls are wearing, all the big, like, oh, yeah. we, it's chav jewelry to me, but it's just, like, so Little fucking ghetto. cool. Yeah, so, the movie's so just cool. so cool. Um, there's an Easy e diss in the movie. Yeah, there is. So uh, <laughs> by the time Ice Cube was shooting the movie, it left NWA on really bad terms. Like, they had both released diss tracks. And uh, so he decided to diss his former friend, Easy e by having a crackhead wear an Easy e shirt and try to steal Dookie's chain. Yes, yeah, Only to get caught and beat down. Yeah. <laughs> the real Easy e would later tell Spin Magazine that Boys in the Hood reminded him of a, of a Monday after school special with Cussin'. You know what? Easy E. I love this film, but Easy E kind of does have a point, though. Yeah, I, I gotta say yeah. that. He said he said the only reason Ice Cube was ever cast in the film was just used to sell the film. I don't agree with that, but I don't think so either. But I mean, it was a selling point. Uh, totally. But yeah, the movie did come across as a bit self righteous, kind of preachy. At still times, good. Watchable. But still good. Yeah. Um, the movie was made as a quasi revenge on Spike Lee. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Singleton applied to be a PA, a production assistant on uh, Do the Right Thing. Right. But he didn't get hired for the job. So then he was like, I'm going to make my own movie and place Fuck it on you. the West Coast. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, so it was kind of a, sort of a diss, I guess, kind of. But. I'm also, just like John Singleton, fueled by hate. So <laughs> I can totally get with that. But I bet you Spike Lee was impressed with the movie. Oh, totally. But yeah. like, yeah, hate is a big motivating factor for me. Like, just doing stuff like that to spite other people. Well, I think it's good to, like, sublimate that into something productive. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So anyway, this week, 
we're going to share the insane Hollywood story of Lloyd Avery, who wasn't a main character in Boys in the Hood, but he's a memorable character. Oh, yeah. He was the blood in Boys in the Hood who shot Ice Cube's brother, Ricky, with a 12-gauge. So we, at, at one point, he points the 12-gauge at Ricky and at them like from that, was it, like a red Honda that they were driving? Hyundai. A Hyundai, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, it's an insane story. So before we get into all that, I just want to give a big shout-out to everybody who's uh, signed up for the Patreon recently and who's been on the Patreon for the past couple of years. Definitely helping us keep the show going, um, helping us pay for all our expenses, because um, otherwise it would be out of pocket. You know, I'd be paying for it. So I think it's, uh, you know, you're, you guys are the one who's who's keeping this show sick and wrong. They're the OGs. You guys are the OGs. Yeah. I'm going to tip my glass to the OGs. <laughs> yeah. A little so from, from my 40. Take a sip from my 40. <laughs> dedicated to the patrons. Anyway, here's a quick Patreon promo. And then let's chat about the blood who shot Ricky. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. If you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. All right, so you guys listen to Dave Matthews. You yeah, got a water. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then... Uh, and She's then... like, come to the boudoir. Right, right. The boudoir. <laughs> the boudoir. <laughs> <laughs> she is she is the type of woman who would call it a boudoir. Right. So so you go in there. When did you see first encounter the smell? Uh I think it's like when I pulled off her pants. Oh, so you pulled her panties down. Wow, and, just when and, you and, what and pants or panties? No, no, no. Panties or trousers still on, here. Panties still on. Strong whiff. Oh, through Whoa. the panties. Yeah. That's intense. That's intense. Right. That's intense. And I noticed. And so you're like, I got to go further. And I was like, I got to get my head in there. (laughs) I got to put my tongue in that. (laughs) I got to inspect a little closer. (laughs) I got to find Nemo. (laughs) For only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. Don't you ever think of- so yeah, I want to say thanks to uh, the Cochrane Factory crew member, Anthony, who sent me this story saying it was wild and I would dig it. And he's right on both accounts. So- I do love that when uh, people suggest a good story. Yeah, especially when like they're like, this is totally up your street and you're just like, fuck yes it well, is. You know, shout out to the Discord people because they're oftentimes, you know, I'll go there and be like, oh, this might make a good intro topic. Yeah. But yeah, people, if you have a good intro topic, email us, sickandwrongpodcast at gmail.com or hit me up on Facebook. Um, I also found a great article because there's really not much about this. It's a kind of a struggle to like research, but there's a great article by, um, I'm sorry, Thomas, you're Greek and I'm going to butcher your last name. It's Thomas Golianopoulos on levelmedium.com and it's called How an Infamous Boys in the Hood Cameo Led to Real Life Murder. So thank you, Thomas, for your research and uh, Anthony for your good taste. Anyone who's been... Uh, around for a while will know I always brag about my gaming history. I grew up playing video games. I was calling out Garanga every time I nailed a line of Buddhists. I can say Sega in perfect uh, unison with the loading screen, but I've never loved a game as much as I loved, and I still love and consider it the greatest game ever made, GTA San Andreas. A great game. Red Dead Redemption, it comes close, but <laughs> my heart was broken when they killed Arthur and the horse. God, not this again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never get over it, D. 
I'm also very proud to say that I have lonely bitched completed 100% completed GTA San Andreas twice in my life. That's impressive. That's a very difficult game. You know, I could have been spending all that time learning another language or doing something productive with my time so that now I have a better job. But no, I was playing San and- getting smoking weed and playing San Andreas. Hey, I was hosting a stupid podcast, all right? <laughs> well, now I do both. <laughs> I can still quote lines. Look what happened to me. <laughs> from uh, San Andreas to this day. And I will often put on the radio soundtracks as like motivational all-workout playlists. That was a cool part of that game. GTA has the best music. What happened to Lloyd Avery II is like practically a side quest story for CJ in San Andreas. It's a rise and fall tale that's crazier than anything you would have ever thought to put in a video game. Few people may remember his name, but most people will remember Lloyd Avery for his memorable character in John Singleton's 1991 Oscar-nominated film Boys in the Hood. Lloyd played the gang member that leans out the window of a red 1988 Hyundai XL with his shotgun to execute. Sorry, this is, is all going to have spoilers. Yeah, I was if about you to say we're spoiling. If you haven't seen it, we're kind of giving a spoiler. You here, should but... see Boys in the Hood, yeah. So he executes the promising high school football star, Ricky Baker. I'm going to get way more into the film a little bit later on. Lloyd Avery, unlike the characters coming up in Crenshaw and Boys in the Hood, he actually kind of grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was born on June the 21st, 1969, so he's a Gemini. Anyone who knows that knows there's already warning signs. He had a pool in the backyard of his family home in View Park, which is a working-class L.A. neighborhood next to Baldwin Hills. So Baldwin Hills is just north of Inglewood, so it's not quite the ghetto. Okay. Yeah. But it, as you start going further south through Inglewood and the Crenshaw and South Central, that's when you get into, like, the shady areas of L.A. Well, uh, considering. <laughs> <laughs> he actually attended Beverly Hills High School, and he hoped one day to become a musician. His father, Lloyd Avery Sr., was a plumber, electrician, and a carpenter. He ran his own business, and it was, by all accounts, very talented carpenter. And his mother, Linda Avery, she used to stay at home to look after the kids. But, you know, when they'd grown up, she found work later on as a teller in a bank. They both worked so that their kids could get the best education. They enrolled them in, like, school integration programs. And that's how Lloyd and his brother found himself enrolled at Beverly Hills High. He was part of the baseball and the water polo teams. He could be shy and quiet, but he was also really well-liked. He was admired. He was often referred to as the class clown, but so was Jeffrey Dahmer. So you have to make of that what you will. You know what movie we should watch is, uh, have you seen My Friend Dahmer? I feel like I have. Is that the one where it concentrates most on his first murder? No, the second murder where he's in the hotel. No, it's it's leading up. It's his high school career. His high school and his like formations a serial killer leading up to his first kill. Based on the comic, right? Yeah, based on the yeah. comic um, by Durf, who people who have listened to the show for a long time. Remember, he we interviewed him on Sick and Wrong about his con- this this autobiographical graphic novel called My Friend Dahmer. Let's do it. Let's and watch uh, it. yeah, but really, you know, if you go back and if you listen to the archives, go, that interview with Durf was was actually pretty cool. I remember like Wackerly was like. He was all like verklempt and nervous about it because he loves Durf. <laughs> I'm sure somebody on the Discord can tell us what episode it was. I don't remember, but anyway, in that movie, uh, they make a point, and in the, in the in the comic too, they make a point of showing how Dahmer would like fake seizures to make everybody laugh, and he was just this like weird kid, and they just they're like, oh yeah, he's this weird kid, but he would like they would get him to do stuff like 
no, he really is the weird yeah. kid. <laughs> Wait till you see him grow up. So Lloyd, Lloyd didn't date much, but he had plenty of girls who were like friends, and they all admired his very long eyelashes. He has beautiful eyes. The children of Quincy Jones, Smokey Robinson, and Clarence Avant were, among, were amongst his closest friends. Like all high school kids, they went to parties at the weekend, but Lloyd didn't drink or do drugs. Instead, he played a game called Party and Pouch, which basically means stealing shit just to steal shit. That's how he got his kicks. You know, I think a lot of rich kids do that. Yeah, steal. Like, did you have friends that were kleptos? Um, I was a klepto when I was a child. I would Are steal we? things. Yeah, but I actually like got as into trouble for it. No, not as a teen, but I did shoplift. But I think everyone shoplifts. You know, I it was really weird. I remember when I was a kid, I shoplifted like this little shark matchbox car. Oh, I would have wanted that too. Yeah, and I th- and I just kind of took it. And my mom saw me playing with it and was like, where'd you get that? And I was like, I took it. Do you take that from the store, David? Made me go back and give it back. And like, I had to apologize. And I remember just being like, you don't take shit that's not yours. Like, you just don't. And so I I was never, I was never a real klepto. But I had friends that were real klepto, especially like uh, Kessler's friends in New York. Like, they were junkies anyway. But I was just, I would, like, it was almost like, it was exciting to watch them steal because yeah. they were so fucking good at it. They would, they could steal art books from museums. I used to always say that. Um, oh, I love that film that that's based on. What's Is that? It? American Animals with Barry Kehoe. But they were stealing actual art. Yeah. No, what, what Kessler and his friends would do is they'd go to like museums like the gift shop and just steal these massive art books and then go sell them back to bookstores that's to funny money. i used to do that but on a lower level like i would steal jewelry from like clothing stores and then i would take it back like three days later and say oh i'd bought this but i've lost the receipt so and they would just take it back and i would get the money and i would do that to spend on booze i had a couple girlfriends that were total kleptos and we just go to a you know, a, sh- a shop with them or a store and especially department stores and they would just steal perfume, steal whatever. And I was like, I was always amazed at how bold they were because I could, I would never do that. I did always say that if shoplifting is the easiest crime and if you get caught shoplifting, you're <laughs> dumb and you kind of deserve what happens to you. But at the same time, I would never dop in a shoplifter. Like if I saw someone stealing. No. Like from a big, to if, never steal from like a small shop. Like not a mom and pop store, but yeah. It, yeah, like a big department store. It's like, fuck them. I haven't stolen anything in years, so. I, you know, I just, I've always, it's just been some, maybe it's from that incident with my mom at the fucking Piggly Wiggly when I was a kid. <laughs> but I just, it was always instilled with me this like sense of ethics about stealing shit. Like you just don't do it. Well, Lloyd Avery could sound a bit like you, Dee, because a friend said about him that he had a mischievous streak and a really sweet um, streak, too. The day before Christmas Eve, he would drive around to people's houses to give them Christmas cards. Like, who does that? Wow, yeah, he's a saint. (laughs) (laughs) Is it back in, like, the late 80s, you know? Lloyd was known for his sarcastic wit, which went hand in hand with his ability to push people's buttons. And although at this point in his life, he was as far away from criminal gangster as you can get, that didn't stop him from getting arrested for the first time. One night in 88, um, Avery, his friend Doran Reed and some other of their friends, they were leaving a UCLA party in Westwood when a couple of frat bros approached them. Avery made a crack, words were exchanged, and then a fight erupted. Three gunshots then rang out just as the patrol car ro- like came down the street. Uh, Lloyd, who didn't fire the weapon but was carrying a fake ID, he spent three days in jail. What? 
his for friend a fake ID. Yeah, That's I think it's a bit harsh. Yeah, his friends grew grew concerned, not so much because of what happened, but because of his reaction to what happened. What scared me was that Lloyd was laughing about it, said uh, Avery's friend, Keith Davis. He told me that he really liked jail. It's like, how the hell do you get locked up and you just enjoy it? He was so flippant. <laughs> That's a weird word to use for your friend. He was so flippant he about jail. terribly <laughs> flippant about his incarceration. <laughs> yeah, that is weird, though. Why did he, I mean, it was L.A. County, I guess, but why would he like it? I think he's maybe just doing that, like, you know, when you're Acting so young and you're something. full of bravado. Yeah, like, yeah, it was no big deal. It's like, it probably was a big fucking deal. <laughs> he was probably crying. After graduating high school, he went to Los Angeles Trade Technical College, but he didn't last long and he dropped out because he didn't want to follow in his father's footsteps, even though, by all accounts, he was also a really gifted handyman and carpenter too. He wanted to be a musician. And this actually didn't impress Daddy Avery at all. He was, in fact, so unimpressed that he took a baseball bat to his son's SP-1200, which what? is a synth four-track. When I was researching this, I asked Dee, I was like, what type of car is an SP-1200? I totally thought his dad had just ruined his car. <laughs> it's his four-track. But this would also lead to Lloyd's next arrest in June of 1990 when he was arrested for stealing studio equipment from Guitar Center. God, I hope it's the Guitar Center on Sunset. I have like a deep hatred for that place. It has to be the same the one in guitar Hollywood. I, I don't know. There's a few guitar centers in the LA area, but the main one is the one on Sunset, and that place just sucks. Why do you hate it so Ugh, much? It's so bad. Like you go in there, and bad service. Bad. Well, awful service usually because most of the sales reps like are want to be musicians, so they fucking hate dealing with you. Right. So if you want to get any kind of assistance or help, it's tough. You kind of have to walk around looking very confused. What I always do is I either go to like uh, the keyboards and turn up super loud mm-hmm. and just start playing it, or I'll get a guitar and just be like, and then they'll come over and be like, uh, can I help you, sir? And it's like, yeah, I'm looking for these cables that I've been sitting here for 45 fucking minutes, you prick. And then the other thing that sucks about it, it's like there's all these like, a lot of like these musician types that go in there. You mean me? Yeah, I'm a musician. They, no, type. but LA Buddy. musician types with okay. attitude because they think they're in LA and that they right. made it, and he, and then you got to deal with them. It's the whole place just fucking aggravates me, mainly because I'm just there getting a cable for my microphone. That's it. That's all I fucking want. I'm just a podcaster. Yeah, man. it's like I'm a podcaster. I don't give a shit about your fucking Fender Stratocasters, whatever it is. I don't care. I just want the cables. Just help me. I'm going to go and move there and get a job there. And then I can, I can bridge the gap between musician and podcaster, two of the most annoying hobbies you can ever have. <laughs> I have. Yeah, it is annoying. <laughs> so now comes Lloyd's big break, or as he put it during his murder trial, I met the right person at the right time, which is what it's all about in Hollywood. Some foreshadowing there. John Singleton was casting for his first major motion picture. He's an Inglewood native. He was the star of the filmic writing program at USC, and he twice won the Jack Nicholson Screenwriting Award. He combined basically like prodigious talent talent with what could be called a monomaniacal drive to make movies. Shortly after graduation, Columbia Pictures agreed to film Singleton's script, Boys in the Hood, with him as the director. John, that, that is cool. I mean, he was very young at the time, 24 years old. I wish Hollywood would still give kids chances. You know, I, I think they do to an extent. Like, Harmony Korine was like 
Well, he was when Gummo came out, he couldn't have been much older than like twenty. Yeah, but this was also back in the nineties. I mean, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems that nowadays a lot of like indie filmmakers are just like not give it like even david cronenberg's new film is not being fucking shown anywhere because nobody wants to take a chance on it cronenberg's son is young he uh he did a film recently yeah but i mean david david cronenberg who's an established amazing director his film isn't being shown in cinemas now so of course they're not going to be like taking chances i find that really odd that some of the indie theaters uh wouldn't show cronenberg but hey yeah that's cronenberg John, like a lot of people, cited the original Star Wars and Steven Spielberg as his main sources of inspiration. He'd spent a childhood in geekdom. He was immersing himself in video games, comic books, and music and movies as an escape from his day-to-day life, which I can totally relate to. Totally. Boys in the Hood, it's an inner-city dramatization of his upbringing in South Central LA. And the characters in the film are all loosely based on people in his life, including childhood best friends, Roman J. Artiste, a.k.a. Little Jimmy. So that's uh, the real Ricky, who is played by Morris Chestnut. Oh, wow. That's that's interesting. I didn't know that. And Michael Winters, who is the real Doughboy, played by Ice Cube. We were talking about this before. Ice Cube was actually Singleton's first choice of the role, but Ice Cube was like, he didn't want to audition, but he did. And John really encouraged Ice Cube to write screenplays, and that resulted in Ice Cube writing the Friday franchise, which was first released in 1995. They're fucking awesome films. I might have to watch that again. You know, it's funny because you've seen like, you know, Don't Be a Menace to Society, while Drinking Gin Juice in the mm-hmm. Hood, Friday and all that. And then you watch Boys in the Hood and you kind of get them mixed up. So like the whole time we're watching Boys in the Hood, I'm like, when's Debo going to come around? <laughs> Take, they better hide their chains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong movie. Boys in the Hood is a moral coming-of-age tale. Ricky is the all-American athlete. He's looking to win a football scholarship to USC. He seeks salvation through sports, while Doughboy succumbs to the violence, alcohol, and crime surrounding him in his environment. But he maintains a strong sense of pride and a code of honor. Between these two is their friend Trey Styles, Cuba, Cuba, <laughs> Cuba Gooding Jr., who is lucky to have a father, Furious Styles, a very sexy father, I might add, to teach him to have the strength of character to do what is right and to always take responsibility for your actions. It's a great name, Furious. I feel, yeah, yeah, Furious is a great name. So, fun facts, because we all love fun facts here. Lawrence Fishburne got cast because John Singleton had worked security on Pee Wee's Playhouse in 1986. Lawrence was in the film and um, John had shown both Paul Rubens and Lawrence his script for Boys in the Hood, both of whom loved it and supported it throughout the whole like production. So I love the fact that Pee Wee yeah, saw this cool. script in 1986 and was like, this is one of the most brilliant film scripts I've ever read. Well, as we said before, Singleton wanted people who just you hadn't seen in movies, which I think is great. And I, kind I of love feel that like, too. I, yeah, I wish... Uh, that's what you know um it follows that horror movie mm. that came out in detroit you didn't see any of those those were all no-name actors that's a great film and too. it's a great movie i, I kind of wish more uh films did this but anyway lawrence fishburne though had several small roles in films like he was in the color purple he was in nightmare on elm street three yeah. three more years uh, but his real break was being a, that supporting character for peewee's playhouse um and that's when you know 19 year old singleton worked as a security guard. And so he told Fishburne, he goes, one day I'm going to write a movie. I'm going to have you in it. I love John's attitude. So cool. Yeah, it's just Uh. too cool. 
there's obviously a ton of interesting facts about this movie. One being that he actually shot the movie in sequence, which is totally really rare. It's unheard of, Doesn't really. Happen. Doesn't I couldn't happen. think of many other films. Like, there's lots of art house films that are done in sequence, but not Hollywood films. I mean, I work in the industry, and I, I gotta say, like, none, none of our movies are ever shot in sequence. No. Mostly because they're not all shot in one location like that. Yeah. I highly recommend the IMDb trivia page, which to me is like when you know when you Google someone on their Wikipedia page, you immediately scroll down to their personal life section. If you don't do that, you're a monster. So you've got to do that with IMDb. But we're going to talk about Lloyd Avery, how he got cast. Based on numbers alone, he has a very minor role. He has at most eight lines of dialogue. Although I would say he probably only has six. Yeah. <laughs> he has less than two minutes screen time. His character doesn't even have a name or a backstory. He's just listed as knucklehead number two in the credits. But everyone knows him as the blood who shot, who shoots Ricky. Well, it's, it's it's such a memorable scene in that. It's a climactic moment of that movie. Oh, he's the villain. Yeah. Although, I got to say, when they're eating at a... I forget what they call it. Eat it, burger. Was it. Eat a burger. Eat, eat a, a burger, burger, which is based on fat burger. Right. But that that's probably the scene where he had most of his dialogue. Yeah, and he's just chilling out. So... Uh, Robbie Reed, who is the veteran casting director, she's also worked with Spike Lee and other black filmmakers. She said Lloyd had a presence that I think was undeniable. When people refer to that it factor, it's really intangible. You just know it when you see it. Lloyd, like pretty much all of the cast, he was required to be on set every day, even if he wasn't on the call sheet. Again, that's very unusual for a Hollywood production. Yeah, that is weird. Other cast members remember... um, Lloyd is being really sweet, humble, quick and eager to take direction, especially for his iconic scene that would seal his fate in pop culture infamy. John really backed Lloyd. He showed him how to use a gun, how to point it, directing him to give the utmost intensity in the scene. And it certainly helped make the film a commercial and critical um, success because it made 56.1 56.1 million profit from a 6.4 million budget. Well, I gotta say, I mean, they did better if you think about it than uh, T2. That's an insane yeah, like crazy. Uh, reception. He was also nominated for Best Director and Best Original Screenplay, making him at the age of 24 the youngest director to ever receive such an accolade. I should have looked that up, like who actually won, because you'd think this oh, shit, movie... I didn't do that either. This movie should have won. Like, I don't know who they're up... I might actually look that up. Well, second. they never do. As his star was was rising, so begins the terrible descent of Lloyd. You have no idea where this story is going. Yeah, now this is the turning point. Now it's going to get like completely insane. There is no such like trigger moment for what could cause his downfall. There's no like smoking gun, like shotgun (laughs) moment. Friends and family can say that it was a bad breakup. Maybe it was undiagnosed bipolar disorder, daddy issues, mummy issues. Privilege issues, lack of privilege issues, <laughs> gang culture, good culture, bloods versus crips, bang, bang, baby, you're dead. And before you know it, you've fallen far from the branches of the Hollywood tree and you've ended up in Pelican Bay State Prison. Uh, Doran Reed again says, uh, oh, Doran Reed, who was the brother of the casting director, said, no one could put their finger on it. People that knew Lloyd were like, what the fuck? How did Lloyd turn into a gangster it sounds like he had to try really hard to become one i don't think he had to try at all no but i think but no if you look at his life and his upbringing he wasn't gangster he didn't grow up as a gangster so he had to actually really embrace this and i think he totally did yeah i think i think 
you know, just the feeling he got from that film and, and everything just kind of like led to a new persona. He loved his newfound fame. He was instantly recognizable. He's got these beautiful hazel eyes, those long eyelashes. He's really good looking. He was tall at six foot one. He's live. To me, he looks like Chris Tucker's good looking <laughs> older brother. He didn't have Chris Tucker's bug eyes. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> He hired an agent. He's doing the rounds at auditions. He does have a leading man quality. He's still invested in making music. He was producing on the side as he prepared for his next role as Fug Number One <laughs> in John Singleton's next film, Poetic Justice. Yeah, not into that one. It's a totally different movie yeah. to Boys, and it totally bombed in the box office scores and in the eyes of the critics. Lloyd was also deeply unhappy with the film. And at the premiere, he stood up as the closing credits were rolling and he shouted, that shit was whack, John. <laughs> John didn't take it personally, though. He was used to the outbursts from his friend. But these outbursts were happen happening now with way more frequency. Hmm. Lloyd Avery was now staying with Qu Quincy Jones III, the producer and filmmaker known as QD... Um, Free in the jungle. I've probably said that wrong. QD free or the third. I'm sorry, QD. Yeah. I'm just going to call him QD. People might know the area of LA known as the jungle from the film Training Day. Hello, Ethan Hawke. That's a good movie. I got to watch that again. I love that movie. One of my favorite Denzel movies. Denzel and Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's a neighborhood called Baldwin Hills, West Side, South Central LA, and it's blood territory. It's controlled by the city stone bloods and the jungle stone bloods. I've never sound whiter in my life than <laughs> reading this. The city this stone bloods and the jungle stone bloods. <laughs> Street violence rages still from 2000 to 2005. There were roughly about 28 murders and more than 1,500 assaults. The taco-eating police of Los Angeles have been trying to push out the gangs, but that's the way it goes. The city, it's so cold. I think at one point they just kind of gave up in that area right it's just like yeah you know what we're never going to be able to stop gang gang activity so let's just either become a gang ourselves uh -huh. which we we covered that or just ignore it that's a great i really enjoyed that episode we're talking yeah. about the gangs gang police of la og gangster t rogers he established the black peace stone set in the late 60s he was a former member of the Blackstone Rangers and the Black Peastone set consisted of two subsets, the jungles and the city. The jungles to which Lloyd would join up and run with are located in the Crenshaw district of South Los Angeles and they're on good terms with the majority of the other blood affiliated sets in the surrounding area, but that doesn't mean that they don't all shoot each other. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, Is there a lot of warring between the various blood affiliated gangs? Yes. Or do they only fight against the Crips? No, they fight the Crips and they fight each other as all gangs do. Yeah, okay. So the other blood affiliated gangs, you know, probably had like a loose affiliation with each other. Yeah. And maybe, you know, a loose, you know, peace agreement, but they probably still ended up killing yeah, each other. Yeah, you still can't well. go into yeah. their territory and fuck about. Avery fit him well in this hood. He probably got a pass to the fact that he'd killed somebody as a blood on film, said Baldwin C. Skies, a Compton native who played Monster in Boys, and says that he received similar treatment because of his actions on film. Up to this day, I have people say, Monster, you shot the blood you represented. You should be down with my hood. And I'm like, I'm not down with a hood. That was an <laughs> acting role. <laughs> you know, Monster's got the right idea. But Lloyd had a totally different response. He felt that he was becoming knucklehead number two. He was beginning to become the famous character. It's all completely Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, no, he, he sounded like he was getting like 
like an attitude. I, I mean, he probably did get laid from it. He, he probably totally got perks, you know? He sounds yeah. like he's like, it's, you know, his ego's blowing up. His friend Keith Davis remembers the first time that Avery claimed he was a blood. We were shopping at the Sloss and Swap Me, he says. Some rolling 60s came up and were like, you're the guy from Boys in the Hood. Yeah, that was me. You shot Ricky, right? Yeah, that was me. Hey, because you really a blood? Yeah, what's up, blood? I was looking at him like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Lloyd just kind of laughed about it. They asked him if he was a blood and it clicked. Yeah, I'm a blood now. <laughs> Wait, is that all it takes to, to get into the gang? You, you just have to be in a, get, get like a, you know, a bit part of a movie? For Lloyd. they like have an initiation. Well, we will get more into how okay. we became gang affiliated. It's also ironic because those who know that LA gang territory will know that Lloyd lived near Crip territory. He didn't gangbang during his teen years because he's a good kid and because his younger brother was actually a feared street member at the time. Mm. So I thought this was a cool story. So his younger brother, Che, uh, also attended Beverly Hills High, but barely. He no- he did not chop a 3.6 GPA, That's though. That's bad. For somebody who barely attended school. He was also accepted into UCLA, but he declined, saying that he felt some sort of attraction to the streets. Che wasn't friendly in school. He did attend prom night with a Menendez brother, though. <laughs> and he dressed up like Easy e for his prom. For, for prom. That's amazing. He's cool, man. He was completely feared. He had formed a crew, not unlike my work crew, shout out to them, called the G- uh, DGFs, the Don't Give a Fucks. Each night, like many other teens before them, they'd get loaded on Old English and they'd look for trouble. Doran Reed said uh, Che once came to a party with Lloyd and I and this whole of a gang is there. All of a sudden, Che starts throwing rocks at them. The other gang was like, what the fuck is going on? One of them recognizes Che and was like, oh shit, that's Che. We better let it go. Whoa, he did have a, he had some street cred. The DGFs were just a daycare center. His next step up was into the rolling 60s, the Crip set from the other side of Slauson. He started working, terrorizing other neighborhoods in the name of the rolling 60s. He lost friends to the streets. He started carrying a 22 caliber revolver at all times. A series of robberies and B&Es followed. You know, uh, Doughboy's crew in the movie is based on the rolling 60s Crips. Oh, are they? I didn't know that. Yeah. Right. Despite his wild early adulthood, he kind of knew that the streets were a dead end and he renounced gang life before pleading guilty to nine felony charges of armed robbery. And when he was released in March of 96, he vowed to go straight and he took up carpentry and he's straight to this day. When I went to jail, Lloyd was a goody two shoes. And by the time I got out, he already had a case. Wow. Malcolm Norrington, who played knucklehead number one in Boys, recalled that Avery was kind of meek, nowhere near a street guy, but within a year of Boys, now Lloyd is missing auditions, he joined a gang, but you gotta earn your stripes. And being famous only for committing a movie murder, it's not gonna cut it for long. That's what I was thinking. It's like, he was just in one movie, he killed somebody in a movie. Don't you think the actual, like, you know, Rolling Sixties would wanna see 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 him actually murder someone? It's going to get to that point. Lloyd tattooed the letter J in Old English above his left eyebrow. And within weeks, he had finished the tattoo and it read, Jungles, Jungles Boys with a Z. Hmm. He was no longer the actor who played the blood that shot Ricky. He was now the blood 
that shot, Ricky. Full transformation. Oh, he's method yeah. acting to the in- insanity at this point. Yeah, Jared Leto has nothing on this guy. I was going to say Jimmy yeah. Dean has <laughs> nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it was around this time that he had his last acting gig for a while. He had an uncredited role in the Wayne Brothers 1996 comedy, Don't Be a Menace to South Central While Drinking Your Juice <laughs> in the Hood, confirming the fact that gang culture was now so mainstream that it was pop culture comedy. Unsurprisingly, Lloyd played Guy in backseat, and his huge ego managed to alienate those on set. And even his friend John Singleton at this point has stopped taking his calls. Well, what's funny about this guy is he hasn't even had a named character. Like, any, he hasn't had a character in a movie with an right. actual name. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's and been thug number one, knucklehead number two. And his ego is this huge. Yeah. His old roomie, QD, the f- QD said he would call my house at random and be like, I'm king of the streets. I'm the hardest. (laughs) (laughs) It was the beginning of 1999. Lloyd was turning 30. He was living in a disused office building in Santa Barbara Plaza. Had a shared bathroom down the hall. So, yeah, he's kind of king of something. He's king of being a broke-ass bitch. <laughs> Doesn't have his own bathroom, so. <laughs> exactly. He would, cash, he would cash small residual checks. He would wash cars to get fast books. In the police report about him, they suggested that he was possibly selling crack. I think he was. After a small disagreement with the Nation of Islam, he fled the jungle in April of 1999, and he moved in with his grandmother before he bounced to a Hollywood crash pad with four surfer bros that he barely knew. This didn't last long. He maced one of their mothers. He also maced former MTV VJ, an object of Dean's teen stroke years affections, downtown Julie Brown. What? How the, how'd that happen? She's God. hot. I love Julie Brown. Downtown Julie Brown, the British one, because there were two. There were two Julie Browns. Yeah. There's one that was like a ginger, and then there was uh, downtown Julie Brown, who was British. I thought she was so hot. If people remember, we had Deadbug on. I think we were talking about on the Patreon when we had Deadbug last on the Patreon. You and him got into a long discussion about your feelings for Julie Brown. Well, Deadbug used to do video or work for MTV. Yeah. Back in the day, like in the 90s, when early 90s, when I actually watched it, I think back then they actually still played music videos. But Julie Brown was my favorite. She's my favorite VJ. He would steal cars or bikes to get around. As an aside, I loved, used to love riding the bike through San Andreas. It was one of my favorite things to do. He once took a, car, a gun to a casting call, and soon he would use that same gun in a double murder. Ooh. Although he was no longer a jungle boy, he was obviously still part of the crew. And it was in the jungle on July the 1st at around 4 p.m. that he approached Annette Lewis and Percy Branch. They're just sitting under a tree near Santa Barbara Plaza. They argued this was apparently over drug money that they owed to Lloyd. And he settled the dispute by pulling out his 45 pistol and just shooting them both. Oh. He shot Annette first, uh, who died later that day, and Percy was shot in the stomach, and he died three weeks later. You know, I've always read that it's the most p- torturous death. Yeah, it's the most painful. Being shot in the stomach, it releases all the acid into your system. So wait, these people, he had like, he knew them personally, like he'd, or he'd dealt drugs to them. They owed him money. Right. That's but they weren't like actors or anything. They were just... No, these are two regular Joes just, just on the street. People. This is wow. a real-life murder. Instead of going into hiding... Because, you know, he'd murdered two people in broad daylight in front of lots of witnesses. 
he now decided to go and film two movies. <laughs> That's what you do. 13 days after the murders, he traveled to New Mexico to be on the set for filming a gangster prison film called Lockdown, set in the same prison that had one of the deadliest prison riots in United States history. There were actually still axe marks in the walls from where the snitches had been decapitated. Who do you play in this one? Prison guy number one? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Lloyd didn't mix with the crew. He smoked a lot of sherm, <laughs> which I always thought was a myth. Like no, the sherm. joints dipped in um, like formaldehyde or PCP. PCP, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sherm, that's what uh, Tupac used to do. All right. Or he would rap about it. I don't know if he did it. But. I think Tupac was too busy practicing his dance recitals <laughs> to do Digital that. Digital underground. I'm going to get shot for saying that about Tupac. Um, Lloyd would fight with all the lead actors he threatened the makeup department saying that he would murder them when we got back to when they all went back to la little did anyone know about this point that he was actually already a murderer how did this guy get hired because of his (laughs) rising star i guess (laughs) but because of his bad attitude on set a lot of his scenes were cut during production and eventually he was just thrown off set completely whilst whilst dressed in full wardrobe as a prisoner he scaled a tall barbed wire fence and he ended up inside a real working prison that was on site next to the old prison that they were filming in. After the guards and the snipers were forced to stand down, he was ordered out of the state of New Mexico. <laughs> He's such a wannabe prisoner. Yeah. <laughs> well, he'll get his wish soon. He will. He bounced from pad to pad before landing his next role as the gangster G-Ride in the low-budget indie movie called Shot, directed by Roger Roth. And to no one's surprise, he went full method for this role, too. He invested his entire life into this picture, even becoming a technical advisor on the film because he's Never such even a gangster. Heard of it. Have you ever heard of that movie? No, I haven't, but I wonder yeah. if we should watch it. I asked him if he was ever involved in killing, and he just gave a smirk, Roth says. I even thought it was kind of cool. It didn't register the heaviness of having to kill someone. So nice guy Lloyd would actually bully the actually nice guy Roger. On multiple occasions, he promised he would kill him. He said, I'm going to wait until your ass motherfucking thinks that I'm motherfucking forgot about it, motherfucker. <laughs> it sounds so hard right now. <laughs> Is he the director, Roger yeah, Roth? he's oh, threatening wow, nice. him. And as for how he was going to kill him, Roth has said, I didn't repeat the threat. I didn't even tell the people closest to me because he was so freaked out about it. (laughs) They completed the film and Roth was so sure that this was the big break that Lloyd Avery needed. But instead of Tinseltown knocking down his door with offers, it was the Popo. And they arrested him outside his Mima's home on December the 8th, 1999. He had been turned in following a tip from the mother of the surfer bro that he maced. Which I think is fair enough. Wow, yeah, that's kind of random. Yeah, like, you know, you're going to fucking mace someone's mother. But was he turned in for the murders or was he yeah. turned in for assault? Turned in for the murders. Oh, wow. Everyone knew about it. And instead of kicking and fighting his way through the justice system, he actually embraced it. He had watched how his brother had turned his life around. And when he was incarcerated at the North County Correctional Facility, of course, there he turned to God and salvation. They always do. Oh, they always fucking do, and I hate it. Well, I think it. they do it so they can get out on good behavior. I think some of them are just looking for any answer to their yeah. problems. After Bible thumping for a year, his nickname in jail was actually Baby Jesus. <laughs> like ODB. Yeah. He went to trial in December of 2000. There were obvious holes in the case. 
They didn't have a murder weapon. Eyewitness testimony really means nothing. The star witness had even wanted payment for testero- testimony. <laughs> Is that how that works? Yeah. <laughs> Forensic police accidentally destroyed the shell casings from the shootings. It's basically the shoddy police work of L.A. LAPD. Lloyd took the stand because, of course, he did. That sealed his fate. He was convicted of two counts of first-degree murder and sentenced to life and sent to Pelican Bay in March of 2001, where since December of 1989, when the Supermax had first opened, there had been around 17 murders. In Pelican Bay? In Pelican Bay. That was it, just 17, oh, 17 murders since the Supermax. 1989, yeah. Oh, wow. That's yeah. a crazy amount of murders. And it's usually here where the downfall ends, right? It's a soon-to-be star sent down by his own greed and arrogance. It's a tale as old as the sound of the ice and the cocktail glasses that rattled in the canyon on August the 8th, 1969. But to quote The Wire, the thing about the old days, they're the old days. And a player can't quit the game, but the game ain't ever going to quit the player. Don't hate the, don't hate the player. Hate the, hate game. the game. One gang-banging fuck that did see it coming and didn't like those that were Bible-thumping was Kevin Roby, who was now cellmates with baby Jesus. At the age of 23, Kevin, an Air Force Academy dropout, uh, that should say enough, was sentenced to Pelican Bay for the murder of his sister on January the 31st, 1987. Detectives had rolled up to the home of Roby's mother, who lived at West 37th Street, way down in South Central. They were there to question Roby about the abduction of his older sister, 25-year-old Vel Malin Hill. I probably said that name. wrong. Vel Malin. Yeah, I've never heard that. It sounds like some kind of like skin condition. <laughs> Vel Malin. I've got the Vel Malin. I, I got my Vel Malin removed the other day. May she rest in peace <laughs> with her unusual name. <laughs> Kevin had told people that his sister had been kidnapped from the family home by three men dressed as ninja warriors. But he couldn't give any other details. Hey, that sounds believable to me. I'd, I'd buy that. <laughs> Ages ago on like a overkill, I did the wasp woman, Susan Hayward, and her midget son had said oh, the same yeah, thing, that, that ninja warriors ninja, well, it was had killed 80s. his mother. We all loved ninjas back we then. We loved the ninjas. And as he was walking the police around the so-called kidnapping crime scene, the detectives found his sister's body covered with dog food in a large trash can. Hmm. Vel Malin had died a very violent death. She had been raped at least twice, sodomized, and then strangled. Roby was sentenced for the murder in May of 88, and he was also charged and sentenced with the rape of his dead sister and his other very much alive sister. He's a dick. He was, yeah. Yeah, he was sent down on account of life without parole. God, he's like really into incest porn. Totally into yeah. it. Instead of finding Jesus and following a righteous brother's path, Kevin instead found Satan. His new religious obsession took firm hold, and he began referring to himself in correspondence as Satanic Christ. Satanic <laughs> with a double N, just in case. Satanic Christ. <laughs> yeah. Kevin, who had previously had his own single cell, now was forced to bunk up with a Jesus freak. This sounds planned. Like it almost right. sounds like the the screws, the prison guards were just like, "Hey, you want to have some? Uh, you you want to have some fun? Let's put the Satanist with the Jesus freak." Totally. Lloyd wasn't fearful of his new weird roomie. He saw this odd couple coupling up as a kind of opportunity. In a letter he wrote to his preacher, he said, "I know God has him around me for a reason. He knows very well that I am a devout Christian, and I pray for him to the Lord every day that he gives his life to God." 
I would have stopped him. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Ned Stoffness. Flanders. On the evening of September the 4th, 2005, Kevin was sick of Lloyd pushing his Christian agenda, and the pair ended up in a violent and physical fight, and only one of them is going to make it out alive, and I think you know who it's going to be. <laughs> Kevin bashed Avery's head against the stainless steel sink in their cell. This caused a one-and-a-half-inch abrasion on Lloyd's head, and then he choked Lloyd until he was unconscious, because that's what he likes to do. He likes to strangle. This caused Lloyd's lungs to bleed. They eventually filled up with blood until he basically drowned in his own blood. Oof, violent death. It gets crazier. Kevin placed Lloyd back into his bed, pulled up the covers, and spent a day and a half concealing his crime. A total of 11 counts were made by the prison staff, including a standing count. But each time, Lloyd was shown as being present. Kevin had convinced the guards that his cellmate was A-OK and not D-O-A because he had tied a string around his dead enemy's arm and he would pull the string like a marionette to signal the guards. Wow, this, this, that's ingenious. He's kind of like made a, a week in a birdie situation. Yeah, he's like but pulling, the prison the, edition. pulling the string like Bela yeah. Lugosky. Um, Kevin partied during this time. He was eating Lloyd's um, commissary and prison meals, and he even wrote a flirtatious letter to one of Lloyd's pen pals. (laughs) Shortly before the the noon count on the Tuesday, he removed the corpse of the blood who shot Ricky from his prison cock tomb, and he placed it on a blood-drawn pentagram on his cell block floor. All right, he's going to get caught for that, because that's kind of obvious. I think he knew it was coming. I think he knew the time with this body was coming to an well, end. Wasn't his body rotting at this point? Yes. <laughs> and we will talk about smell. that too. As part of this satanic ceremony, intended as a warning to God, Kevin had painted the walls with Lloyd's blood, and eventually, after 38 hours, the prison officers finally <laughs> noticed the satanic scene. <laughs> so these guys were so oblivious to the blood, it, probably the pentagrams with Lloyd, that were painted with Lloyd's blood all over the, the cell wall. They're like... Hey, does that look like a bloody pentagram to you? We should maybe go ask him about that. Kevin was handcuffed, (laughs) and Lloyd's body was sent to the infirmary, where they tried CPR on the already decomposing corpse of Lord Avery II. Yeah, I'm sure that that really worked. He was pronounced dead at 12.10 p.m. on Tuesday, September the 6th, 2005. He was only 36 years old. He was younger than me. The family, of course, sued the prison. Five prison officers. Prison officers were found guilty of misconduct, and they basically all just took pay cuts for a couple of months. Linda Avery said, uh, that's his mother, said, so they could just get a little tap on the hand. It's crazy. Yeah, what are you going to do? I mean, prison guards don't make that much money anyway. I would, like, like I feel bad it's for the like family. like a huge demand. Yeah, like, well, fire some fuckers. Fire at least two people. Like, it's, maybe you know, like Maybe the, the sergeant or whoever's the lead. Yeah, just fire one person. The correctional officer who was present for the miscounts said in November of 2007 that miscounts were more often than not the norm. These prisoners are assholes. (laughs) They aren't nice people. So you're trying to get your count done and there is one person who refuses to stand. Are you going to count him? We like a quiet day. We cherish a quiet day. I know all the other officers involved in this case. They didn't do it on purpose, but was it lazy? Sure. See, that's what I'm saying. It's like they cut corners. They cut I'm surprised uh, they don't have, like, cattle prods. I think it, they would totally carry <laughs> cattle prods if they were allowed. 
Kevin Roby remains incarcerated, another life sentence added to his list of crimes. He also continues to call himself Satanic Christ, the rightful ruler of the universe. He claims he is not a devil worshipper, but the Christ of darkness. He sounds like a real fun fucking guy. Completely mental. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds like an oxymoron, Satanic Christ, but I like where he's going with it. People who knew Lloyd, they still ask the question how he ended up in Pelican Bay. His brother Che kept some of his belongings, and he's even named his youngest son after his big brother. Lloyd Avery has become a hood legend. He's immortalized in memes and in the pictures that he leaves behind. He walked a troubled, self-made path from Hollywood to Supermax. And to quote the iconic Stringer Bell, there's games beyond the fucking game. And Lloyd Avery lost it all. He lost it all big time. I mean, he certainly did, but did he regret it? I don't know. I mean, it sounds like it sounds like that role as knucklehead number two just kind of changed his entire life, his whole perspective on life. It's crazy what a little bit of power can do. Just ego. Power to your ego, yeah, can do. And that's why I got the COVID, because I was bragging. <laughs> I was feeling powerful. And then I got the COVID. This is it. It's but a moral story, people. The thing with this guy, though, it, it didn't have to end up this way. Of I mean, he had not. so many opportunities. Right. I mean, in the industry, I mean, he was like already connected to Singleton. I mean, if he would have not been an asshole, I mean, he probably could have like it could have led into like, you know, a successful career. He could have gone, gone to a technical college and had a very successful life as a as a, you know, a plumber or something like his dad or a carpenter. Yeah, I loved writing this one. This is yeah. like this Crazy. one. Just like I just wanted to write it like nonstop. It Which great. is just weird because you never think about like the one guy who played a bit part in this iconic film ended up dying <laughs> in you know, a satanic <laughs> ritual in prison by like satanic Christ. Yeah. Crazy story. Anyway, um, go, go, go check Boys out in Boys in the, in the Hood. It's <laughs> yeah. a good movie. It's a good movie. It's episode 853 here, Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next, 323-522-4032. But first, here's a quick message from Admin Eve. Hey, guys. It's me, Stephen. I'm a huge fan of your show. Thanks to your awesome coupon code, Diddle, I can buy myself loads of good sex toys. Since both of my wives died, and my look Eric's disease got pretty bad, let's just say things in the bedroom got pretty boring. But thanks to adamandeve.com and coupon code DIDDLE, D-I-D-D-L-E, I'm now a new man. So we got a couple phone calls to get to here. Uh, people, you can call the Sick and Wrong Hotline, 323-522-4032. You can email us, sickandwrongpodcast at gmail.com. Or uh, you can send it via Facebook, but I'm going to hate you if you do that. You'll get on his uh, shit list. <laughs> you will be on my shit list. Anyway, this uh, first call... Uh, came in from Glasgow, Greg. Nice. Yeah. Love him. GG. But you might have to translate this there, Kate Rambo. Oh, yeah, he plays the banjo. Yeah, it's a, it's a musical call, okay? Okay. It's a musical call with a, with a story. 
Uh-oh. Yeah, very inspirational story. Do you think he can play the theme from Deliverance? That's exactly what he's playing. Is it? Yes. I guess it's close. I no, it is what it he's playing. He's playing the start of it. He's playing like the first stanza. I bet you he plays that every day. Why not? If I could play the banjo, which is actually one of the hardest instruments to learn, I would play it. I've often heard banjo's easier than guitar. No, it isn't. It isn't Harrison easier than guitar. Harrison used to say it was easier than guitar. Harrison can play the banjo. Harrison can play the guitar. The guitar's really fucking hard to learn. Yeah, but Harrison said that, that banjo is easier to pick up than guitar. No, it's not. But okay, Harrison. <laughs> it's like saying the accordion is easier. Hey, Saturday on crew. Glasgow Greg here. Tell me a story of a young 18-year-old getting what he asked for. A burst dick, man. A burst so, dick. So, 18... Wait, okay, what do you say? So this is a kind of moral tale, too. This is a, a story about a young 18-year-old getting what he asked for. A burst dick. A burst dick. Okay, all right. I, can, I, I didn't quite get that. I didn't clean <laughs> that from what he said, but okay. Burst dick. Hey, man. The cripple and I go out. Posh Hotel in Glasgow. My fucking slag of a sister pays for it, man, and it's, it's all good. Thank- Can you translate that part? Okay, so him and his crippled wife have got a really posh hotel in Glasgow, and uh, Glasgow Greg's slag of a sister is paying for the hotel so that they can go and have an away <laughs> time. Slag of a sister. <laughs> Four poster bed, big fucking bath, nice. and the cripple is off her up, her asshole, man, and I am fucking up for it. So, wait, wait, wait. Did he say that his wife is giving up the asshole? Like, he's getting anal. He's getting anal because they're in that type of hotel room where you just give up the anal for the men's. Yeah, but isn't she crippled? Does she really have a choice? I don't think she's crippled at this point. Oh, okay. This yeah, is this pre... is when she's able-bodied. Okay, this is pre-the crippling. Everyone's prepared, man. We get the butter out. It went all sensual. <laughs> Bent her over, man. Gave her a good massage. You know. This sounds very sensual, doesn't it's it? It's very like Marlon Brando sensual yeah. at this point. Very sensual. Massage <laughs> sleep and she's bent over. Parted those ass cheeks, man. This is before she was crippled, man. She could spread those legs herself. <laughs> I think he pushed them aside her fuck on, you know? It was great. So she pushes her leg aside herself, man, and, and I grab her asshole. And I'm just edging it in there, edging it in there, and... Bang! There it went, man. There it went. I went, ah, 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 ah. All right. <laughs> could, could you translate this part? He has broken <laughs> his banjo string. So wait, he spread her legs open. He's fucking her in the ass. He's and trying. He, he yeah. split the banjo string. I mean, I must be said to the cripple that her asshole is so tight that it uh, breaks banjo strings, which has never happened to me. Because <laughs> I'm a way bigger slut, apparently. Ah, 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 ah. Like, fuck, man. I, I'm not doing this. I'm not pushing it in deeper. Fuck that shit, man. I got out there, but it was partially broken, man. Oh. Partially stuck banjo string, I declare, is worse than full banjo string. Okay. At least when it- Okay, what happened here? 
So it's not a fully broken banjo string that needs to, like, you've got to go to hospital and kind of, like, get it all reattached with stitches. It's That's partially. your foreskin, right? Your foreskin. Yeah, when it okay. comes off from your dick. <sighs> you don't even have a foreskin. Why do you care? <sighs> Just the idea of having <laughs> it ripped off. I've always been gentle with the dicks. It's never happened to me. you got to treat them like they're just like little puppies. Yeah, but I think it's like, yeah, I mean, it's obviously accidental, but I think it happens with just the friction. Know, friction. Is yeah. usually when it happens. So they didn't have enough butter. Oh. Bill Banjo Shane goes, <laughs> it's over, man. Mine was partially stabbed. And it was like bleeding a little bit at the fucking helmet. It was like a fucking paper cut. It was fucking horrible, man. It felt like it was popping and fizzing. It was the tiniest little cut you've ever seen in your life. That was the last time and the first time I went in and asked my dick. Now I just eat it, man. Wait, wait. That was the first and last time you ever got anal? Yeah, I think you should have just tried it again. Just give me a bit more loop, man. Yeah, I was about to say, get some more KY or something. Well, I mean, this is Just Glasgow D. Like, they can't even afford real butter. He was probably using margarine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fucking right. You know? Anyway, Banjo String. Bang! <laughs> now, fucking every awesome time call. I hear a banjo, that's all I'm going to think about. Thank you there, Glasgow Greg. Yeah. Wow. Talented. I wonder what his wife, how does his wife feel about your uh, your your nickname for her? The cripple. Well, I think the she's cripple. probably like if you had crippled me in a car accident, I'd be like, you can call me cripple. It's fine. You dick. Because that's what you've done to me. Wait, he's the one. It was his fault. Yeah. You not remember that f- gnarly phone call when he's talking about the car crash that crippled her? What? Oh, they both I do remember died. that. Yeah, yeah, I do. Well, actually, that. no, I think he was all right, really. But she was bad. And I think it was the mother-in-law in the car, too. Yeah, I do remember that, yeah. So was he trying to kill the mother-in-law? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you for that romantic story. Love his calls. Yeah, that was sexier than The Notebook. Remember that movie? It reminded me of The Notebook. Anything is sexier Called than The, the Banjo notebook. String. I tell you, if a man ever said to me, do you want to watch The Notebook, my pussy just closes up like prison doors. Wasn't there a Banjo String snapping incident in that movie? I wish. I wish Ryan Gosling would curl up and die and just stop <laughs> being Ryan Gosling. I hate him. He is a Banjo String. <laughs> anyway, here's the next call from Tim about a medical museum. Uh-oh. Hey, Dean Kate. This is Tim calling in with another story of my youth. So, uh, my mother and I went to Philadelphia at one point to tour one of the universities. Um, And part of the university is to attract people and say all the cultural attractions they have there. And so, part of the... Wait, did he say Philly? Philadelphia? Philadelphia. That's where the uh, Mütter Museum is. You know what, people? That's a great museum. I discovered today that even though I have the COVID, guess what? I can still do accents. Oh, please don't. (laughs) Spare I just us. did it then. I just did my fill of fucking Bill accent. I'd rather snap my banjo string that I don't have. <laughs> I was mentioning something called the Mütter Museum, which uh, is I want to go um, part of the College of Physicians in Philadelphia. Uh, and so my my mother has been a nurse for over 40 years, still is wow. a nurse, uh, still fucking works full-time, 12-hour shifts, and she's in her early 70s. Wow. And so she's seen some shit. But the other part of this is she also brings a lot of those stories home. Obviously, with HIPAA, we're not using names or anything. But she's, uh, you know, maintaining privacy, but obviously giving me all the the fascinating details. Yes. 
And so once they told us about this museum, I, you know, look over at my mother and go, we, we have to go before we go home. Let's, let's go. So we left and uh, we walked from the university to um, this, this uh, museum. Uh, on our way down, we walked past a real-life porno theater, which I had never seen in my sheltered suburban, uh, his sheltered suburban youth. What? You don't have a porno theater? Where, where's Tim from? Is he from Pennsylvania? I think he's from Pennsylvania, but I'm not sure whereabouts. I thought every town has a porno theater. They shut the one down here. They had one in uh, in this town, in Carlisle? In Car- yeah, in Carlisle. There was one, but they shut it down. But you can still walk past where it was. I've always wanted to reopen it. <laughs> it's such a great building, and it deserves to be like a porno theater. Have, did you ever get to go in there? No, it shut down like in the mid-80s, but the building is still there. I, you know, I haven't been to Bay City, Michigan in a long time, but I know uh, there are two. There are Cinema Art, and there's another oh, one called Ace Adult Bookstore. That's the one that Martin would go in and watch Tranny Porn. Yeah, Ace, Adult, Ace Bookstore. Adult Bookstore. When he was waiting to pick his kid up from school, Martin would go in there and watch Tranny Porn. Everyone used to always say that, uh, I know uh, a lot of, a uh, couple of friends of mine that became police officers after high school, they said that was kind of like the hazing thing, is you'd have to go into Ace Adult Bookstore and bust people whacking off. What is the point in having a porno theater if you're not going to whack off in it? I would love to open up like a porno theater that's safe for women where there's not going to be like cum all over the seats, but women can go in. Like I would generally love to go and women watch like porn films. Women would not go in and do that. I love porno. I know, but it wouldn't happen. Like it would just be, but I also want to open up my adults on the, um, what's it, planetarium. <laughs> that's my other great venture. Yeah, but you could show porn at that. I would have a booth, a peep show on the way out. <laughs> I'll combine them. Um, yeah, the uh, I remember Cinema Art had like the just these disgusting little booths that you could put like quarters in, and there's just cum all over the. Screen. Do you ever whack off in them? I never did. I only went, I don't even think I I don't even never watched porn, but I remember walking in just to look at it and be like, wow, that's fucking. Gross. I'd always be worried about cameras filming me whack off. I it's just gross. I don't, I don't really get the whole idea of whacking off in public like that. I mean, it's salacious. I get why it would make you hornier. But, yeah, no. And we also got to walk by, past a man pissing on a church, which was uh, fascinating. Oh, lovely. I've done that. Until we get to this museum, and we tour it. And so this museum is dedicated to, I, I don't want to say medical oddities. It's de- de- dedicated to medical education. And so they have specimens that you will not see elsewhere. Oh, amazing. And so they have a whole hidden collection that you have to request and probably be a doctor to look at. Uh, but their public collection, they rotate things in and out. So um, you can see casts of presidential tumors. They have a whole wall of skulls. They have a death cast of the American Siamese twins, Chang and Ang. Um, I mean, it's you could spend a, a full day in there and still only scratch the surface um, wow. if you really want to pay attention. And so part of the time my mother and I went there, they had a, a, an exhibit dedicated to maternal issues, let's say. And so they had those, like, salad tong things that you scoop babies out when they get stuck in the uterus, or not the uterus, birth canal, there we go. Forceps. Um, <laughs> and they had a lot of babies in jars, and so, like, a cyclops. Yeah, that's the thing that they're known for, is the babies in the jars. Yeah, I've always wanted to add a collection to my oddities of a fetus in a jar. Mütter Museum is, is pretty amazing. I have a, actually I have a book from the Mütter Museum. Have you been? Oh, I've seen that book in your Yeah, yeah, show. it's really cool. No, you know, I've never been. Uh, we should, I've always wanted to go to Philadelphia, so um, I also want to track down Jimmy Pop while I'm in Philadelphia. 
So we should make it. A, we a should trip. definitely go check it out. Philly's a cool town. I've driven through it, but never really spent much time oh, there. Oh, we should definitely go drink in there. It's a drinker's town. Baby. Uh, a mermaid baby. Those seem kind of self-explanatory. But one of the ones that they had was uh, suffered from something called anencephaly. And so that's when the top of the skull doesn't form or yeah. close. And so they look like... Um, the end of Silence of the Lambs, uh, so their brain is just kind of hanging out there. And so I'm taking this in fascinated, and my, my mother goes, I remember these from when I was uh, a younger nurse. You just wait for them to die. And it was just like this heavy, wild moment to hear, like, to, to, to think about the shit that my mother had seen as a nurse of just these, like, babies who realistically live only a few hours because there is no way to close the top of their head and she paused and we kept you know like the, the we thought about that moment and then just moved on to the rest of the collection uh it's definitely worth a visit if you're in philly uh so yeah um that's it keep it sick and wrong nice thank you there um um tim that, that you know i gotta ch- we gotta have to go check that place out we do. You know what? Like Vietnam vets will freak out and have PTSD for like 200 years because of the shit they've done seeing. I've never once known a nurse to have PTSD over the shit. Nurses are fucking hardcore. Yeah, well, I, I admire you, them. Yeah, I think you develop a thick skin, you know. Well, no, I think the difference is, is that they still are personable to it. That It still affects them, but they know it's just life. Which is different. I think they're able to compartmentalize it, Fuck which yeah. a lot of people can't. It's hardcore. Did you ever go to uh, the Museum of the History of Medicine in Paris? No, I haven't. I've been to the, um, That's the medical really cool. museum in uh, Edinburgh. That's a I, famous I don't think one. I've been to that one. Oh, we should totally go to that one. That's a really fun. That's very similar to what um, Tim was saying. It's like lots of babies in jars, lots of skulls. And that's where, oh, I'm blanking on the names because I have the COVID. I'm going to use that as an excuse for the next three weeks. The two very famous, Burke and Hare. That's where Burke, oh, there's lots of Burke and Hare the, stuff. Yeah, you know, I tried to go to that, but it was closed by the time I got there. Yeah, you also have to book in. I've never known it to not be busy. Uh, the the one in Paris is actually kind of cool. Also, once again, lots of babies. Oh, I would love to go to that one. I love Paris. But too. Muda Museum, I've heard, takes a cake like everyone says it's it's amazing we're gonna go to it man. yeah we'll go. yeah no it's it's it it is really cool um well thanks tim for calling in about that love and, that story uh, yeah props to your mom they're the babies that are born with the really bug eyes as well aren't they the, yeah they've got really bug eyes and they've got no head it's like why if they're born like that you know they're just gonna live a few hours why don't you just pump them full of fucking morphine and just be like on your way son I wish they would like actually live like that. Wouldn't that be great and make people more interesting to look at. They would kind of be like a free stooges, but in real life. Brainiac. That'd be cool. <laughs> people call the cigar on hotline three two three five two two four zero three two. Um if you haven't already signed up for Patreon, I don't know what you're waiting for, because we're doing a lot of uh there's a lot of great content on the Patreon. I love um, the Patreon. Particularly second show. Second show is a lot of fun. You know, we, rec- we record two shows every week. We do our main show, and then we do uh, the second show on Patreon, which is you know an entire show. It's a whole different show. Um, it usually gets a little bit more personal. Talk a little bit more about our lives, a little b- bit more salacious, a bit more saucy. Um, this week, uh, we were chatting about Kate's COVID. Uh, we were talking about my, uh, my consultation at a pharmacy at Sainsbury's. Um, yeah, I went there. We talked about my DSLs as well. 
Yeah, your DSLs, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, I went to Sainsbury today for a consultation with a pharmacist, which is bizarre. Like, she, like, pulled me in a room. I had to pull my pants down. It was weird. And then I find out you can't even buy a fucking Neosporin. I can't even buy an antibiotic ointment. You have to go to a doctor. to get. It's fucked up here. Can't get antibiotics here, mate. I've told you that ever since you landed. Bizarre. And then... Uh, um, I, I told Kate about my brother's vendetta. <laughs> yeah. My brother called me and told me about this guy who tried to steal his phone holder from his bike at the In and Out. Jeffrey wants In and Out restaurant. Jeffrey wants blood. Jeffrey's like Liam Neeson and Taken <laughs> for his bike. Yeah, his for precious his bike. baby yeah, bike. His precious phone holder on his bike. Oh, he's mad. Anyway, you can hear all about that. On the on the second show this week, as well as uh, we do a bit of a film review, some of the movies that we're doing, and finally, um, a listener named Skyler sent a news story about a Brazilian doctor who raped a patient while she was undergoing a C-section. That story, holy shit! Yeah, insane. It's deviant. Yeah, no, that's yeah. I don't think I've done a story like that before. It's sick and wrong. Yeah, very sick, sick and wrong. wrong. Anyway, that's all on the second show on Patreon. Only five bucks a month. It's not even that much money, and we do appreciate the support. And for a few bucks more, you get sick and wrong overkill, which uh, Kate this week is doing killer cooking. It's a um, kind of a specialty show that you do where you specialty. Uh, yeah, where you cook. Um, you know the the the. Favorite meals of a lot of cer- favorite meals, killers? last meals, last just meals? like iconic snacks of all like just notorious badasses. So this week, Timothy McVeigh. We're doing Tim McVeigh. And what's week. he known for? For uh... the Oklahoma City bombing. I've been very like this last summer. I've been very like this whole summer even. I've been very into Tim McVeigh. No, but I mean, what's he known for? For uh, for his food. Oh, mm-hmm. um, we're recreating, but I'm gonna obviously judge it up. His uh last uh his last meal that um. Before he was executed. And fun fact, I watched Tim McVeigh's execution. But did you masturbate? Oh, furiously. <laughs> I didn't stop. I was like, die, you terrorist scum. <laughs> and uh, at that level, too, you also get access to the Sick and Wrong archive. So uh, that's the first 10 years of Sick and Wrong is now made uh, available via SoundCloud playlists. So uh, sign up for the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Sick and Wrong. Support the show, keep it sick, keep it wrong. We do appreciate it. And you also get, we were talking about me being a musician before, you get a secret um, Asian babes. You get the whole catalog, right? Yeah, so you can hear me being a musician for, like, we made, like, 30 songs in about 30 minutes. We were like the Ramones. And I don't know how many posts we have up there, but, I mean, you get all the second shows and the outtakes and all the stuff that me and Harrison did. Yeah, there's Harrison shit. Yeah, and then all the the outtakes that, uh, you know, in the second show that... That me and Kate have been doing. So there's a lot of content Fun on there. Fun place to be. Yeah. Give a little, get a lot. Um, also, if you haven't bought some some merch, although I, I noticed this week a lot of people have been have been buying stuff from the Tea Public Store, which is really nice. cool. Um, but yeah, we we have a lot of uh, merch available at our uh, Sick and Wrong Tea Public Stores. Go to sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. And uh, and go buy yourself some merch. You know, I know they've been doing a sale recently where where I think shipping is free. Send pictures as well. If you buy shit and you wear oh, yeah, shit, yeah, yeah, or let you buy something for your house, send pictures and buy stickers. Put stickers in bathrooms. That's kind of, that's kind of what I always forget to do. I have a whole bunch in of bar stickers bathrooms. that I always forget. Yeah, you got to do that. Yeah. You got to do that. 
Anyway, sickerongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. Finally here, Sickerong Song of the Week. Obviously, we're inspired by, uh, by Boys in the Hood. A man the show with an Ice Cube song that a lot of people might know. Check Yourself. Before you wreck yourself. Exactly. Featuring Das FX, which is great. The song came out in 1992. And what's funny, if you listen to it, there's a lyric that he says, I make dough, but don't call me Doughboy. This ain't no fucking motion picture. Awesome. Yeah, it's a line from the song. But this is the second hit single from his third album, Ice Cube's third album, The Predator. And Das FX is on there bringing their own you know, flavor to the track that uses the classic instrumental from uh, Grandmaster Flash's The Message. Right. So you, you'll recognize that immediately. But uh, we're going to end the show here with Check Yourself. Um, people go watch Boys in the Hood. Great movie. And yeah. uh, we'll be back next week with episode 854. Till then, take it sleazy. Giving up the clap and who needs
Pops up balls at a time like this Pop your coochie and your debt This is a Miami hurricane hit Sprung, niggas call her lips and lungs Nappy dug out, get the fuck out Cause women like you gets no respect Bitch, you better run a check So take it check yourself before you wreck yourself So take it check yourself before you wreck yourself Come on and check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yeah. yourself Cause bitches like you is bad for my health Friday, you ain't got no job, and you ain't got shit to do.